As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's Isa Dynite over here at the podcast. It's the ladies special. <laughs> and we're going to be doing like the biggest freaking badass scenes in the whole book. So that's pretty cool. This is the Wheel of Time Spoilers Podcast. Your hosts are Aradia Farmer and Kelsey Maxwell. Thank you all so much for letting us do these super awesome chapters. And I'm super excited to actually be live in the studio with the guys doing the thing in a proper microphone rather than on my phone. And this is just super exciting. I'm super jazzed that we're finally doing this. Patrick's going to read us in. Chapter 46, To Come Out of the Shadow, and our symbol is the ruby-hilted dagger. Nynaeve and the others heard distant shouts as they approached the buildings where the Damani were housed. The crowds were beginning to pick up, and there was a nervousness to the people in the street, an extra quickness to their step, an extra wariness in the way they glanced past Nynaeve in her lightning-paneled dress, and the woman she held by a silver leash, shifting her bundle nervously, Elaine peered toward the noise of shouts, one street over, where the golden hawk clutching lightning rippled in the wind. What is happening? Nothing to do with us, Nynaeve said firmly. You hope, Min added, and so do I. So much is about to happen. Okay, so my very first thought, why the ruby-hilted dagger? Literally my first thought, why the ruby-hilted dagger? Right, because it's entirely the girls, right? Right. Matt got his dagger back in the the preceding chapter, but he's not in this chapter. Fane's not in this chapter. So why is the dagger heading the chapter? Maybe I mean, technically, Fane sort of engendered the whole situation by drawing Rand there, but... That's true. Could it be Joffram? Our friend Geoframe? <laughs> Geoframe. <laughs> Maybe? Maybe. I mean, he makes this, like, short little appearance, and it 
Yeah. Is the is the dagger though always representing Fane or is it like general dark friend chaos? I mean, it does seem kind of like a chaos element. Like whenever we see Fane, we see a lot of chaos. And the white right. cloaks basically are also always an agent of chaos. And the horn and dagger are connected. That's true. I'm thinking it could be it's just the culmination of all these different events that have been happening up until this point and shit's about to hit the fan. But that's like the most close connection I could make to the ruby hilted dagger or fane. That's better than I could think of. So I'm going to just go with it. That sounds like an excellent explanation. So we're opening to our jailbreak crew. Literally trying to pretend nothing is happening while the three Taviran boys are just stirring the pot. They are chopping people down and like getting guards running around and all this stuff. And they're trying to waltz through like, dum-da-dum, nothing's happening, nothing's going on. It's like the most suspicious thing ever (laughs) and really random. Like they're just whatever. And I also noticed that they're holding on to Sita, who is quickly learning how invisible she is on the other side of the leash. She's used to being front and center. Now she's just a collar and a dress. Yeah. Uniforms really, really matter to the Shan-Chan. They see the uniform before they see the person. I mean, obviously, it's really important for like the symbolization of how the slavery is going, but it's also like good world building for the culture of the Shan Chan. Like they are that oriented around their uniforms and their visual hierarchy. You know, I have thought about that because I wonder like if they get tired of wearing the same thing over and over, especially because clothes play such a huge role in the series. (laughs) So I feel like that's worth (laughs) mentioning. Totally. I have also wondered that there's these powerful women that are like very near the top of the pecking order because they can control the one power and yet they don't get to like show that off with their dress. They're just all like this uniform thing. I'm sure. Well, we don't get a whole lot of glimpse into like average people. We really see like the people in the blood or the Doka Vale or Soldam, et cetera. I mean, even if you're, like, up in the ranks, you really have no freedom whatsoever. Yeah. It could be only when they're on duty. But I don't I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe. Do we see any of the blood going shopping for clothes that are... No, but the blood are not... The, they're never Suldam. The blood are not Suldam. Right. Do we ever see off-duty Suldam? I mean, you're kind of always on call when you're a Suldam, right? We get some glimpses into Tuan's life, but she's such an extreme example of a Shantian that I don't know how much we can really take about her life. Yeah. Or maybe, like, they can stylize it different ways. You know, kind of like the Aes Sedai shawls aren't always the same plants or whatever. Like, they could have different styles right. within that context. So maybe, like, the Suldam dresses are the same. So Radia made, like, this huge book of notes, and it's awesome. So I'm trying to digest all that. Okay, so my next thing is the Damani kennels. Just want to point out kennels, not stables. Still where you house animals, but it makes me think more of, like, the Downton Abbey, where the servants live, like, up in the attic. I mean, obviously, like, even crappier because they don't get, like, mirrors or for some reason, like, stable makes me think on the ground, whereas kennel, like, makes me think up high. And also, I feel like the use of kennel is more degrading. Yeah. 
And yeah, kennel sounds less spacious. I mean, arguably it's horses pretty, are really pretty docile. terrible. Yeah, it's really, it's messed up. So the kennels are Downton Abbey's version of Downton Abbey. Like, they're just awful. Also, next thing, which I noticed you commented on it, on my document online, is hashtag Eglad <laughs> um, for Egwene and Galad. Um, that, that's how I'm shipping that. Is that when you made up or is that? Oh, no, I totally made that up. Has it come up on the Discord before? Uh, well, the discussion about how... Timber, shut up. Enablus is very cute and very noisy. Yeah, see, now it's a thing. Now it's a thing. We've now made it a thing. I made it a thing. I just impacted the internet. Awesome. But she, when the women come into the room, Egwene's like, you you would be Galad and Rand. This was my fantasy. I think we're totally still seeing Egwene being into Galad because, I mean, either RJ missed it or this is still her transitioning because she's still into Rand right like her fantasy is rand and or his half-brother i think it's like the trip back to tarvalon is when Egwene turns away from rand and turns away from galad and is totally into gawain because that is when elaine would have the, the most chance to be talking up one and down on the other he he and berlaine are objectively the most good-looking people in the series Right? If Elaine had just shut her judgmental trap, then Egwene would have lived for like ever. <laughs> sad. Well, I still think she was like destined to die. Yeah. It's so frustrating. Egwene would have been such a good Omerlin, but no. Well, okay, this is a tangent, but would she though? Or was she the Amerlin that the world needed at that time and then it was time for her to leave? That is a fair point. She was so extraordinary that she might have been too much for the post-Last Battle world. Yeah. Just a philosophical question. That is really valid, though. I mean, she was super extraordinary. So how could she handle the regular world? Yeah, I was really sad when she died, but I don't know. I don't know how it would go down. Like, that man, Two-Face, says you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. It's a little extreme, but I feel like <laughs> there's there's an argument to be made that she had to take extreme measures and she did what needed to be done, but in like a more transition type of world and political setting, she might not have been the right Amerlin. I'm nodding. It's happening. I'm actually nodding at the microphone. I'm also wearing the shirt because obviously I would come to the studio wearing the shirt. Oh, are you wearing your Wheel of Time shirt? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got my, my sticker on my water bottle and I got the sticker, the pin on my backpack and I'm wearing the shirt. Yeah, absolute power corrupts absolutely. That is a really good point. Egwene had way too much power. But first, we need to rescue her. This is very true. And I just wanted to point out that the fact that Egwene thinks they should come in on stallions is kind of raunchy. Like, damn, Egwene. <laughs> damn, on stallions, huh? Huh? Is that how this is? This is some of the darkest that we see Egwene and Nynaeve when they're talking about torturing Sita. It's like That's, really the darkest yeah. they get, like, in a lot of ways. I think it's an important moment for them, though, because, I mean, we don't see them like reflect on this moment too many times, but right. I think it really establishes for them their ethical boundary of what's, what's right and wrong. And I feel like they 
really stick to that for the rest of the series. Yeah, yeah, I noted that later that like we really see Nynaeve go like full wisdom when she tell Toxic going down from wanting to torture or kill the Suldom. Like her reasoning is extremely like way of the leaf grade philosophy. Mm-hmm. She just has a very profound insight into how Egwene needs to not be messed up by that, which is like, think about how messed up the future Amarlin could get if she talked herself into torturing and or killing her captors. Like, she would be forever altered, right? And that could have been really problematic for the Amarlin that the last battle needed. Right. And, you know, it could have been a huge distraction for her. For the rest of the series, you know, she has PTSD that she has to deal with. But, I mean, she moves on from that. And she has some moments of, like, I want to kill all this, all the Shantan. But by the time the last battle comes, she has to, like, face them from a political standpoint and from a position of power. And she doesn't let that affect her judgment too much. I mean... <sighs> There's a lot of Egwene haters out there, and so I'm sure that they would be arguing against that, but for the sake of probably the rest of this episode, let's just say we're generally pro-Egwene and not going to get into that, but absolutely, she doesn't let that affect her course of action. action. Yeah, and I think that that's, it's super, super important how Nynaeve makes sure that that is how Egwene comes out of this scene. Like, that's really, really mm-hmm. important. Like, we needed Nynaeve to do that. Because otherwise we'd have, like, yeah, Darth Egwene. It would be, like, post-box Rand, like, all over that. Right. And Rand's, like, a great contrast. And he had so many variables going on. But he was not okay after that. And, I mean, yeah, he turned into Darth Rand and he was horrible. And contrast to that, Egwene was able to rise above it and then learn from the wise ones, learn from the Aes Sedai, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. It's really, if, if Egwene and Rand could have had a slightly more parallel experience, the world would have been slightly less on the edge of destruction because Rand really yeah. got a, the way worse end of the deal. But Egwene's very much experiencing a parable of what Rand will experience. Everyone on the Discord is loving on Egwene. So to all the listeners, FYI, this is how we stand on Egwene. Yeah, we are a pro-Egwene podcast. <laughs> if you don't like that, then, you know, you know the, where the door is. We will not stand for that. I mean, we can definitely acknowledge her flaws, but <laughs> she's great. She's, I definitely have occasionally given myself the pep talk of what would Egwene do? Egwene would not be such a little baby about this. I know, I know. Not Egwene. <laughs> Not Egwene. Absolutely. <laughs> or Egwene, like Patrick and Seth. <laughs> cough, cough. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I definitely, it's, it's how the podcast does it. Michael Kramer and Kate Redding know what's up. What would Nynaeve do? <laughs> you know, I really liked tugging on my braid when I had one. I currently have my head shaved like the voice of the blood. But I used to have a braid down to my waist, and tugging on it was excellent. It was excellent relief. That's awesome. So you pointed out that Rena and Sita are the two that that kind of torture Egwene. They're the ones that Matt ends up rescuing later on. They are. So part of that 
is the general wheel of time conservation of characters. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting. Because, I mean, Matt and Egwene have a very interesting relationship in that they're very much like siblings as they go through the mm -hmm. world. For Matt to essentially redeem these characters who like tortured his sister. I mean, he doesn't know it, but nonetheless, it happens. Is kind of interesting. It's an interesting arc that that would be the character who loops around with them. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that Matt was able to figure out how to open the collar just with an hour of playing with it, but Nynaeve figured out a way to do it with the power. Two different ways to open it. I've never understood that. Is it a magical collar or is it like just a unique way it's made? I think it's just a unique way it's made because I don't think the Suldom channel to open it. Yeah, Perrin totally would have figured it out in like 15 minutes. <laughs> is it just a blacksmith's puzzle? But And presumably you can't solve it if you're the one wearing it. I mean, obviously that is a thing. But I just thought it was interesting yeah. that Nynaeve figured out how to just sort of like smack it open. Like she just taps it in the right way with some wind and just like pops the mechanism. I thought that was pretty cool. Some of them, I guess I can't say magical, but like kind of magical aspect of if you're actually wearing it and you can channel, you can't remove it. Because once you think about removing it, you get the punitive yeah, effects. Exactly. Exactly. Which is really creepy, creepy how like specific is able to get into your head. It is. So when I read this the first time, I felt like Egwene was kidnapped for ages and same with Rand in the box. Mm -hmm. But when you reread it, it's really not that long. Yeah. Rand is in the box for like a week, maybe, but this is like a month. So like it's a while, but it's not that long, which is definitely long enough to learn things. I mean, it's a moon of captivity, right? That matters. So we finally get her out. Thank God. Oh, right. And then we kind of get some clues about the revelation that the Shan Chan system is not correct. Like if you have any channeling ability at all. Right. You could be a Marath Damani. Of course, it would be the future Omerlin that is the one that makes that discovery for the people of the Westlands. She's probably been analyzing everything about the collar and the Shan Chan and taking mental notes. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, I just thought it was appropriate that it would be like the Omerlin that sees the White Tower through the last battle that's like puts those pieces together. I mean, probably any eyes that I could, but of course it would be Egwene. Yeah. And I also thought it was interesting how we got the mechanics of Shanshan culture with how they find people. So every single girl has to try the collar, but it's like obligatory and she gets to try on the bracelet. Like it's a privilege. Mm, like mm -hmm. every girl goes through that collar and bracelet like every year throughout her adolescence. And I just thought that was an interesting uh little bit of world building like that is a regular part of their annual culture is like women going through that like ritual of being evaluated for either servitude or serious privilege do they let the damani have children they don't mention it and we get some clues from matt later that no one would sleep with property. Like, that is sort of this weird thing. Oh, right, because they do kind of touch on that with the Daco Vale. Yeah. But 
you'd think that they would be someone has to be breeding or else it would get cold out of the system really fast but maybe it's right. just Suldom. it is but yeah you'd think they would just breed damani i mean their property their animals right like just breed them like <laughs> that that would make yeah, sense with i was their just SS. curious about it since it's such a big deal like in Randland with the Aes Sedai and not being allowed and right like it, it's they're probably not culling as much as the Aes Sedai are because I think we were talking about this a little bit on the discord channel that it's almost an advantage that the Aes Sedai aren't great at recruitment because it allows them to let a lot of channelers escape the white tower and live normal lives and then create like the two rivers who no one goes recruiting in the two rivers. So they've just been like growing this population of mega channelers. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Jordan doesn't, doesn't like to do deal with like logical hereditary things in culture or language (laughs) or in genetics, like logic. ah, We don't need that. Which I mean is fair. He was a physicist. So, you know, Although it is interesting, like, genetics plays a big role in the plot of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of referenced in the Wheel of Time, but it's not explicit. There's a good point made on the Discord that the ones with the spark, a lot of them died out. But the ones who could be taught but are never taught are, like, left in the population to hang out hang out and make out (laughs) right which then means that sean chan should have had less channelers but they would have been more effective at recruiting the channelers that did exist but they would have been more effective at culling them out it's so confusing assuming that soldom aren't allowed to have kids so i just wanted to point out that when Egwene is released to be able to do whatever she wants she takes the pitcher to hit renna the very picture that she was like punished for n- trying to use as a weapon. That is the first thing she reaches for and attacks with effectively. That's because she's Nynaeve's protege. So yeah, exactly. The one- She couldn't use the-, the thing for days. And like that was the first thing she went to. Just like, oh yeah? Oh yeah? Now I can. Now I can. Also, it's like the best thing in the room for a weapon. So th- there's that. But I thought it was a nice bit of like revenge. I was just thinking that she was Nynaeve's protege, and that's how she learned to... Oh, through a bowl at Mistress Aelin! Right! <laughs> yes! Yes, I also you like that. You just grab a stool if you're fighting the Forsaken or whatever. Right? Like, just totally. Just throw it at her. Yeah, just grab, grab a random object and throw it at your adversary. It works every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that's a Two Rivers-ism, is throw shit at people. And it works a lot of times because people aren't expecting it because it's just so pathetically not enough, right? Demon Dread throws rocks in the last battle. Yeah, that's because he can't um, channel at the people wearing the fox head medallion. Right, exactly. Yeah, and they also learn from uh, Mistress Luhan who beats a trollic <laughs> to death with a frying pan. Does she pan. actually hit the trollic or does she just hunt the trollic? With the frying pan. Oh, she's definitely taken out trolley. Yeah. She's a big woman. Yeah, she is. I mean, and a frying pan is is a hefty chunk of metal. So <laughs> she kills Total its ass. badass. Totally. <laughs> Bam. She's amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's such a classic fantasy trope, like the thong 
like moment like it's kind of a fantasy trope it's not fantasy if you don't have someone hitting being hit over the head with a pan a frying pan you know, I've never seen it before, but I haven't read enough fantasy to question that. Well, or like in fantasy movies, I mean, it's in Lord of the Rings. That's really all the memeage you need. I mean, that makes it canon for the entire <laughs> genre, right? <laughs> Was it in the book? I don't know about it in the book, but it's definitely in the movie. So I love this point that Aradia brings up in the notes. She puts, Egwene uses the Adam to torture Rena, and the question is, what do we think she does to torture her? Does she go, like, full torture, or does she just, like, cause a little bit of pain? You think she just goes right back to boiling water? She doesn't get more creative than that? I mean, didn't they they use that on her? They used that on her, which makes it logical for her to do that, but I also just wonder. And I I was interested to see what Discord had to think about it. I mean, I'm just curious about, about what else she would have done, because she's been there for a month, so she surely has been has experienced more than just boiling water probably well i guess it depends on like how long her stubbornness lasted well she's still stubborn because well yeah she's still stubborn but she also like needs to survive yeah i don't think she started folding that much well no she started to fold slightly because she tells min like i'm losing it i'm starting to lose it but she's only just starting to lose it after a month and i got to imagine that the suldam are creative right and i mean at a certain point you have to like have a sense of self-preservation and just okay just get through it mm-hmm. and not piss them off too much right and she was like at the beginning of that process and like freaking out about it pms on steroids and i think this is worse than pms oh yeah yeah i, I could see leveraging someone's uterus against them that would be possible yeah that's a good point that sam Samuel makes in the discord that Egwene probably quickly like fall fell in line but she's never gonna stop trying to escape right yeah a kidney stones god yeah seriously or childbirth <sighs> or migraine headaches <sighs> or <laughs> the list goes on and on though if none of them have kids they wouldn't know what that feels like so they don't know what it's like to be boiled alive either so the next point is the the Wonder Girls take the high road and they don't kill anyone. So it's probably good. Yeah. See in my notes, I said it's interesting that Elaine goes from pitying Sita to wanting to kill her with like no in between. Like she doesn't even consider That's so torture. Elaine though. Right? She she just goes straight from like, oh, she she needs my help to I'm going to behead this woman. <laughs> like I mean, she's the queen of Andor and also the queen of rash decision making. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so freaking true. I mean, I love her, but oh, it's true. Yeah. yeah, rashness and her are in the dictionary together. And of course, like we see what happens when our characters go full crazy and like straight up murder people. It is not great for their psyche. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does some serious damage for them to do that, which is like, I mean, that's the philosophy behind the way of the leaf is that the axe is harmed by the tree. Their philosophy is grounded in truth, even though they take it to an extreme and like get all evangelistic and vegan. And- right. We see that come into play multiple times throughout the series. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a, a theme that Robert Jordan like didn't want to hammer you over the head with, but also wanted to draw your attention to. 
I would say that that's probably one of the major themes of the series and in large part based on his war experience Mm -hmm. because he, you know, felt that firsthand. Yeah, for sure. It's like sometimes you have to do violence, but yeah, use the axe until you begin to like using it and then throw it away and run the other direction. Like, that's a good philosophy, probably. I feel like the only character that really is able to do that is Lan. Yeah. And maybe Elias. I do think Lan would set down his sword once the Trollocs were cleared from the Borderlands. For sure, I think he'd be okay with that. I don't think he'd be sad to stop being a warrior. Yeah, I'm always amazed that Lan is still kicking, like, even going into the last battle. <laughs> like, he's around in New Spring as a badass warrior. I mean, like, a young badass warrior, but still a badass warrior. I mean, he's, like, 30 years old in border, border years. But, like, <laughs> 40 <border> years. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an exact calculation. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, Nynaeve's sense of justice emphasizes the idea of karma, which goes well with the circular notion of time that goes with the whole wheel of time thing is like the, the mm-hmm. idea like he doesn't talk about karma a lot but that's definitely like what Nynaeve is like talking about there maybe you've done enough good to balance out the evil that you've done but like she's just letting that call up to the pattern and like that's a, like one of the few moments we really see the concept of karma that's true so it's a good thing that they didn't slit the Suldom's throats for their own well-being because they'll have lots of power over life and death in the coming books so it's good that they they didn't go too dark too fast bella alert bella almost got left behind if they had gone with domon bella would have been left behind and the last battle would have been lost that's absolutely true so this is why the battle happened the way it did is because that was what drove them to get bella out of the stable exactly it's bella's taviran weaving yep i was just about to say is Bella Taviran because I feel like she is, or just Rand's been writing her his whole life that she's basically like Taviran by proxy. And also a hero of the horn, clearly. <laughs> yeah, no one ever thought to check for Taviran animals now, did they? I mean, Mandarb is also clearly Taviran because how the hell else is he still going after all these goddamn battles? Samuel's making a case that Rand is not Tiberian. It's actually Bella, and she reps off on Rand. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. New oh. headcanon. Yeah, I know, right? Absolutely headcanon established. Okay, so we're, we're getting close to the first perspective break. I want to know, are the soldiers marching out? Because they run into soldiers. Are they marching out because of the disturbance at Turox? Or the White Cloaks? Or... Like, I've always been so confused why there's soldiers out at this moment. Like, because the White Cloaks are lining up, but I don't see how the soldiers were seeing them. Right. At the end of the last chapter of Rock and Seas, the White Cloaks. See, Discord is so helpful. <laughs> you can crowdsource the answer. That's where it's at. Oh, my God. How did I never put those things together? I've, I must I have just chalked it up to White Cloak fuckery. I mean, it's it's a valid option, but Rockin makes so much more sense. It's like he wrote words that we were meant to read. <laughs> and I mean, also, there is, has been this disturbance at Turok, so maybe they're just, like, rushing to the house of the local lord, maybe. that's It's not uh, clear. But the, we do know that the children are lining up to march on Falm, mm-hmm. which I still don't understand why. 
the white cloaks have decided that this is the moment that they should just they're like oh look enemies we should just run at them full tilt i never right. gotten that that rush okay ignorant question yeah fane is not yet hanging out with the white cloaks right correct okay so never mind edit that out <laughs> <laughs> victory for the light is all yeah so i guess yeah they just show up and are just like we're just gonna take these guys down anyhow we'll get to them in another like four and a half years once we get to the end of this chapter my last thought here is that Egwene totally shot first at the shan chan this is not like Nynaeve getting the horses from the white cloaks like this is a clear case of Egwene shot first and if she hadn't if she had just calmed down and not shot first then like Maybe that whole situation wouldn't have happened. I mean, Rand is Rand is drawn back because he sees fireballs go off. Like that's what pulls right. his attention around, and he's like, "Ah, everything's falling apart." In the next chapter, like it's Egwene freaking out and being all PTSD tastic. Which I mean, to be fair, she just escaped like five minutes ago, and she's like totally shot up a level. It's several levels. <laughs> yeah. But Rand also needs to declare himself over Toman's head, so maybe like, you know, that was that was just meant to be. I mean, the wheel weaves as right. the wheel wills. I literally have it etched on my leg, so I do believe it. This chapter is so satisfying because <laughs> it's like everything has been building up to this point, and then it's just utter chaos. Yeah, before we started recording, the three of us were talking about how the first season of the TV show could easily be the first two books. You know, mm-hmm. and just have have the eye of the world be like the mid-season kind of thing. Just because the second book is where so much of what gets set up in the first book, like, really starts to come together. And you're like, holy shit, this guy really is the dragon. And, like, this is what that means. Right. That makes sense, especially because the eye of the world at the ending, we're not quite sure what all is going on. Right. And so it's kind of like a good, I guess I could see it like a good halfway point. But it's even the, the book series itself is like still finding its way mm-hmm. and at this point it's i feel like it's proper like wheel of time right like all these different characters coming together and mm-hmm. i often tell people like when i just want to recommend eye of the world i tell them like you can read this novel and have gotten 90 percent of the genius of wheel of time and if you're really into it then you can read the other 13 books and really experience mm-hmm. that world fleshed out if you only read this one book, I will still feel like my job was done because you will now know at least something of this thing that is so important to me because he covers so much material in the first book. Mm-hmm. There's so many different mm-hmm. adventures and they split up and they almost die several times and so much happens. Like It's a great standalone novel if that's all you have patience for. But at the same time, I'm also like, you really should read the entire thing because the world is huge and there's so many characters. And yeah, like the part where Rand cries on Tam's shoulder takes books and books and books of buildup to really appreciate. (laughs) Yeah, it's a beautiful moment. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So I don't have much to say about Doman and Byer's point of views. Bornhold? Bornhold? Bornhold. We are about to get to the entire moment. So I guess before we jump into that. Yeah, I just want to point out the moment with the frog bear, the three-eyed frog bear, just because I think it's a beautiful little tiny piece of world building. When Domon watches a man appear from one of the warehouses with the girl at his side, running to keep up with the beast's long leaps as they vanished into one of the streets leading up from the water. I just like mm-hmm. wanted to have a moment because I just love like this dude probably trains with that animal. Like they probably have like a working animal human relationship kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. Just the way that they just run out of, like, they hear a disturbance and they're like, this is what we're supposed to do. This is what we're trained for. And they go running out of the warehouse and up the street while this, like, dude on the shore who sees them as an enemy is just like, what? What was that? Ah, I don't know. I just really, I like them, that picture. It's a really cool piece of imagery. Yeah. And they're really weird animals to, like, try to imagine, like, how that would run up the street. Mm-hmm. POV switch to Bornhold. He thinks that the channeling is the weather. Domon does not think that, that the channeling is the weather. He knows it's not the weather. Like instantly, he's like, Mm-mm, "No, that isn't. That is definitely a problem." <laughs> yeah, Domon knows. Absolutely. Domon's definitely not an idiot. He stays for an amazingly means. long time in this battle. He just like hangs out. He does. Like what? But yeah, Bornhall just marches on foam. Like. I'm going to die on Tomon Head, so I should do it running full tilt at a city held by an f- invading army. <laughs> like, cool, cool. That's a great plan. <laughs> Bale fires. Less than Bale Domon. I do be a weave. Just a weave. He's got less spirit, for sure. We have finally reached the coveted, much anticipated. POV switch to Rand watching Ingtar redeem himself. Dun dun dun. I'm excited. <laughs> Need like sound effects to like illustrate how epic this is. Wait, we've been talking about this, I, yeah. building up to this for 40 freaking episodes. My question that I've been pondering as I've been listening is at what point does Ingtar decide to redeem himself and, and turn back to the light? See, this is an interesting thing, because I feel like he's not as much of a double agent as Varen, for sure. But I also feel like he's been very reluctantly pulled into the shadow. And so in a sense, he's always been looking for a way out. Like, Mm -hmm. he's always been conflicted. But definitely Flicker Flicker is, like... Probably the turning point. Like, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Like, that's the point at which he realizes that he's too far gone he there is no final task always something more will be required of me i think is what he says he's a boromir sort of character and so i feel like Mm -hmm. like flicker flicker really put him into that like i'm ready to make my final sacrifice Mm -hmm. 
to save everyone kind of thing. Like he needs his final redemption because he doesn't want to damn himself any more than he's already damned. That's kind of how mm -hmm. I've always interpreted his character. Because Flicker Flicker matters, but I don't think it turns him from like, the great lord is coming, yay, to like, oh no, the dragon newborn. Like, I think he always has been skeptical of his allegiance, but thinks that it's how he's going to save his people. And it takes Flicker Flicker to show him that he did it the wrong way. Right, that makes sense. And at that point, he realizes that there was no way that was ever going to work. He can only admit to it once he decides to sacrifice himself. Like, he almost admits oh, it to right, Varen with, like, I walk in the light, but she might have already, like, shown him her dark hand, like, at this point, possibly. And then also, this is the hour of his death. So, oh, just hit the mic. So he can totally be upfront with anyone. And also, I mean, he's being upfront with Rand. I mean, Rand is, like, basically Jesus. So he can forgive your sins, right? That's how that works. <sighs> Yeah, and I just think, like, he breaks all bonds, right? That gives him sort of this, like, ability to forgive and to give a meaning of absolution that Ingtar would find valuable, right? Because he knows that Rand is, like, important. <laughs> I'm nodding. There also could be some Taviran influence here, too, where it's his last chance and he he takes it. Yeah, because Rand is there. It, like, tips the odds in right. his favor of actually pulling it off. Right. But, like, it's that makes it seem like Intar gets less credit, which I don't want to do. But at the same time, like, it could be having an effect. Yeah, it, it might be that the Taviran nature of the situation does make it easier for him to say something that would arguably be really difficult to admit, you know? <laughs> mm hmm Right. The one thing that I just shot a hole in my own theory, though, about Ingtar always being conflicted and that I needed, I wanted to talk about and I need everybody's help with is how Ingtar stands up straight after he admits everything and says that he's gonna, that he's gonna sacrifice himself to save them and he's all good. He looks like he did before, before the attack on Faldara. And I always, like, I just realized, like, that totally shoots the, a hole in the idea that he's conflicted. Unless, of course, he never actually did anything dark before letting the Grey Man into Faldara. He was one of those dark friends in abeyance who was just promised power, but never actually did anything. It's definitely entirely possible. But it's just like he wasn't weighed down before the attack on Faldara. You know, I'm like making the argument that he's like this tortured, tragic character. And it's like he was fine before Faldara like happened. I don't know. I could... I mean, he had to have been pretty down to make the choice that he made to turn to the dark side to save his country because he felt like there was no other way. Uh-huh. So, I, I mean, that's a pretty tortured place to be. Rand's vision of him is like that he's like standing straight and confident. And it's just interesting that like clearly for Ingtar, like all the bad shit started at the attack on Faldara. So so we don't know there's compulsion. I think there's compulsion. I think his antsiness is compulsion. I really think we've got good evidence for compulsion. But he definitely did think he was helping Faldara. Oh, evidence for compulsion with the gray man. Um, I don't know. Maybe not. If he was at the Dark Friend Social, he would have been subject to whatever the compulsion from that point on. But it might have not taken effect until the horn was stolen. So. Right. 
I mean, there is the death is lighter than a feather thing where he just like just the relief of knowing redemption was coming. But like, I want him to have been tortured before. That feels huge to me because we see it happening in action. Like we've heard the phrase from Lan by now, Mm -hmm. but we actually see like the physical manifestation of that in Intar because he's finally free from that. And he knows that even if it's an impossible task to save his country, it doesn't matter because he's doing everything that he can at this point and there's satisfaction in knowing that. Yeah, I'm nodding. Yeah, yeah, it's just, Ingtar's such an interesting character and then he goes and dies. I know. And Discord is coming up with all kinds of cool ideas. I know, it's really awesome. I'm trying to like I know, sort right? through it. It's so hard to keep up. You guys are so epic at giving up with us all the time. <laughs> Especially when lots of people come because we like talk the event up like really big. Like everyone come. I expect you to make time. But I do think that there is an argument that can be made that he hasn't done anything truly reprehensible until the moments of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he's been like signing a letter here or there or something of that effect. Right. Yeah. Because we get a line from Fane about taking the dark friends from Faldara who were called upon for the first time to answer their oaths at that attack. So, you know, it's like, maybe he didn't take all of those with him. Right. So Patrick brought up the idea that maybe Varen healed whatever compulsion Ingtar had going on. That's interesting. Seth disagrees. It would be really hard. She's a brown, not a yellow. And... Nynaeve is the one that figures out how to heal real compulsion. I mean, taint compulsion. So Mm -hmm. given that Varen had to reverse engineer compulsion backwards, I doubt she found a way to get around it. But it's interesting. It's an interesting theory. And Nynaeve doesn't heal compulsion until book 12. Also, there's that. Which, But I mean, like, also, I feel like the magic system is not completely set yet. I feel like it gets much more set at about book four. And there's still a lot of interesting interpretation in the first three books that you can't make as much in the later books that's true like i feel like it gets much more systematic at about book four at that point he's like locked down everything is decided but here there maybe is some more open-ended stuff and then when brandon takes over it's like extremely systematic (laughs) yeah for sure though i gotta say i really like what sanderson did i was like worried that like robert jordan was just gonna like drone himself into like a rut so that way the last battle wasn't exciting and i honestly feel like changing authors kind of helped like you can throw rotten tomatoes at me if you want but yeah like i'm throwing rotten tomatoes <laughs> it's like i don't want to say i'm glad he died but like i'm kind of glad he died because like they got finished in a really interesting wonderful way i'll cut that out yeah because i'm not saying i'm glad he died i'm just saying i'm glad brandon sanderson was involved i'm i'm glad that sanderson was able to finish the series but i really wish rj there's no way it could have been as good but we got the best that we could in the circumstances and you can totally tell like the few scenes that like sanderson didn't touch like you can just tell you can tell. Yeah. And the stuff that's totally him and the stuff that's like collaborative. Like in my opinion, like there's these a few scenes that just feel like the eye of the world. Like he must have written them years and years and years ago and just been writing towards them the whole time. Oh, absolutely. 
Oh, yes, that says I wanted Jordan's last six books because we know it would not have been just three. Samuel, if I'm right about when I'm calling the stylistic differences, then yes, I agree. The epilogue is all him, but I don't know because... That's confirmed. Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. Um, Harriet and Brandon have been purposefully not clarifying who wrote what throughout the last books, but... The epilogue is 100% Jordan. Yeah, and you can just tell. And I think he, on, I seriously think he must have written it in like 92 or something, you know, like early. Oh, yeah, I think it feels yeah, that was so like, old school, RJ. <laughs> right, yeah, like Brandon doesn't even know what the pipe lighting I love how that works. I, lo- I love the fact that it ends on a fucking enigma. It's like, seriously? Seriously, right now you wrapped up everything and then you throw in that? What? But of I mean, he's a genius. He he's a goddamn genius. Like, fine, be that way. It's so perfect. I feel like there's more to be said about Ingtar. Okay, there is more to be said about Ingtar. I like that Huron get is kind of the witness to this moment that is Rand both this is I think Rand's first time sending someone to his death and like mm-hmm. being responsible for someone dying in this very like okay i'm gonna turn around and let you kill yourself on these 12 soldiers like and Rand does that a shit ton like later in the books but this is maybe the first time and Huron is this really small character this really tiny little character that we don't see for books and books and books and books and books is there witnessing all of this happen and just standing witness and just being that like every man not lord not Tviren, he's just there watching it happen and bearing witness for like all the rest of us and i just i like that constructed cast that is pretty great and this is such a huge moment for rand because he's been fighting his leadership this entire book and when his people need him most he does it without question or hesitation it's such a hard thing for him to do but Ingtar needs him so he rises to the occasion Mm -hmm. I feel like this is one of the first instances of Rand being like a true king and it's pretty great yeah and it's so small but it's so profound Mm -hmm. and yeah basically nobody sees it it's like him winning the sword fight with Turok like it's a really important moment in the sword master's life blade master's life but it's it, nobody sees it except for Rand, you know. It's it's a really nice constructed sort of like picture of of Rand's very first experience of true kingship. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Ingtar is a really good a good first death to order, you know, because Ingtar takes it really well. You know, he's sheathing the sword with all deliberateness. Like it's not like sending some terrified village youth with a stick into battle. It's like letting a soldier choose how to sheathe the sword. I mean, he's a borderlander mm-hmm. at heart. Yeah, and then oh yeah, Ingtar gets to confess and repent, like privately, private absolution, but very meaningful because it's mm-hmm. coming from like. I mean, Ingtar doesn't know he's the dragon, but he knows he's hella important. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, that's our an excellent example of how one sheathes the sword. And I guess it's about time for Patrick to read us out, unless you have anything else to say, Kelsey. I don't have anything else to say. I mean, I think the the moment speaks for itself. <laughs> All right, take it away, Patrick. Rand turned and found her and staring at him, staring at both of them. It's time for us to go, 
But Lord Ingtar does what he has to, Rand said sharply. But we go. Hurin nodded, trotted after him. Rand could hear the steady tread of the Shan Chan's boots now. He did not look back. listening to the wheel of time spoilers podcast rate us in the apple podcast app or support us on patreon Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.